for some reason, there's this cultural phenomenon of people not wanting to reach out for support. Mm-hmm. I don't need help. I can do it all on my own. Or I worked with a gentleman one time who said, this is my wife and I'm the only one that knows how to help her. Mm. And that is the most precious, you know, that comes from such a good place. Mm -hmm. But you also know that this disease is too big and chronic illness needs 24-hour support. And one person can't do that and take care Mm -hmm. of themselves appropriately. Welcome to Aging in Style, the podcast dedicated to celebrating aging and what it takes to do it well. I'm Lori Williams. I'm a certified senior advisor and senior housing expert. In each episode, you'll learn stories of older adults who are thriving in their 70s, 80s, 90s, and in some cases, in their hundreds. Whether you're an older adult or the child of an older adult, this podcast is filled with insightful resources, organizations that are doing incredible work, and stories that will inspire you to volunteer, learn, and who knows, maybe even skydive in your golden years. Hi, welcome to today's episode of Aging in Style. Today, we have Megan Rowe with the Alzheimer's Association back with us. We've had several interviews with Megan covering all kinds of topics, and she's she's just wonderful. So we're so glad to have her back again. Today, we are going to be talking about caregiving because November is Family Caregiver Month. And so we felt like that would be a great topic to share Not only if you have a loved one who has dementia, Alzheimer's, but for any kind of an illness or disability, I share some things myself about my journey with my husband since he had his four strokes and being a caregiver. And just, you know, we just have several tips that we do want to share just to make things a little easier for families who are caregivers. Now, let's welcome Megan to the show. Hi, Megan. Thanks, Lori. It's always great to be here with you. And we are going to be talking about November, which is National Family Caregivers Month, which honestly, I think caregivers need a shout out every month for the work that they do in their homes for their loved ones. So this year's theme is caregiving around the clock. But again, that could apply to really every day. Um, So Caregiver Month is through the entire month of November. And it's really to help recognize those family caregivers and friends that spend their life taking care of loved ones with some kind of chronic illness. And today we're going to be talking about kind of the impact on caregivers of those care of loved ones with dementia or Alzheimer's disease. Many of the things that you'll hear today parallel um, with other family members that may be taking other conditions. Mm -hmm. Lori, what's interesting to me before I get in on all these facts and figures is that a lot of times people don't identify as a caregiver. They're just, I'm a daughter. I'm taking care of my mom. It's my duty. This is my family. We're taking care of family. This is what we do. They don't identify as a family caregiver that maybe um, we're talking about here. Have you seen that in in the things that you've done in your professional career? Yeah, I have. And I can say, you know, personally, since, you know, becoming caregiver for my husband, initially, it was hard for me to wrap my mind around and actually say I'm the caregiver. So it took me probably like, you know, a good six, seven weeks into it of actually having him home, even though I was the caregiver from the moment he had his strokes, I've been his caregiver, but having him actually home, um, it took me like I said, six, seven weeks to I'm like, okay, I am his caregiver and I can actually wrap myself around that, that phrase. (laughs) 
Yeah. So a family caregiver can be anyone who is the primary person to care for someone, whether they're in your home or in a care facility. But it also is other people within the family unit. Maybe it's another a sibling or a brother or someone that is involved in the care somehow, but could be long distance, could be mm-hmm. not living in the home, could help out um, in other ways, but still may have some emotional tie to supporting someone. And that can be heavy on um, any caregiver's shoulders. So mm-hmm. today we're going to talk a little bit about um, all the caregivers and kind of what they go through during the their caregiving journeys. So in the 2003 Facts and Figures report that the Alzheimer's Association publishes, there was $340 billion worth of care provided by family members and other unpaid caregivers, which is a wild amount of money for anyone if you really start to consider how much work um, these caregivers are doing. So really Mm -hmm. what that translates to is that the work you provide, if you were in a paid profession to do this, it would be $340 billion worth of care from these family caregivers. It's an incredible amount of um, work. Um, And I hesitate to say the word burden because it's not an intended burden. It's Mm -hmm. just a weight that's placed on the family unit. Mm -hmm. So 83% of the help provided to older adults in the U.S. comes from family members, friends, and other unpaid um, caregivers. Nearly half of all caregivers who provide help to older adults do so for someone living with Alzheimer's or another form of dementia. Mm. So that is um, a lot of caregivers are seeing an impact from some form of dementia. But who are the caregivers? Have you ever really thought about who are these primary caregivers that are providing support? So about 30% of caregivers are over the age of 65. So we're talking about an older population that is already qualifying for their own Medicare coverage and wellness visits and may have their own health conditions going on that they need to care for, which can really complicate things. Mm -hmm. uh, Because as we always talk about, if you can't take care of your own health, you're going to be able to take care of someone else's health, right? Mm -hmm. And Lori, we were talking about that earlier. It's so hard when you're in it and you're living it to recognize when it's affecting you or impacting you in a negative way, whether it's your well-being, your emotional yeah. health, or even your physical health. And that's, um, that's so true because even having worked, like I have 17 years in senior living and giving this advice to people all the time about take care of yourself and know this, when you're in it, you don't see it. And I shared with you that one of my friends had to say, um, yeah, I'm worried about you. <laughs> you need to get some help with your husband. And it's funny because like I'll say I have a caregiver for Mark who comes in three days a week to help with showering and stuff. But then, you know, when I call her the caregiver, I'm not thinking of myself as a caregiver. I just realized this, but I am like the primary caregiver. Our son is a caregiver too. And I haven't really called him that. I just always say Chris helps me so much. But you know what? Chris is a caregiver also. I just realized that as we were talking. Yeah, and so, and there's paid caregivers, like you're saying, where you can, mm-hmm. they can come in and support respite for you or care needs for your loved one. It helps take a little bit of the daily tasks off when you can include multiple caregivers mm-hmm. to help the family. It really helps carry the load or the weight amongst more people. It so does. Can mm-hmm. 
It is, it's a lot on one person to try and do it all by yourself. I can't even imagine. And I'm younger than that number you said, the 65 and up. I mean, I can't even imagine having or having health issues and still trying to take care of someone. That's that's a lot. Yeah. So nearly half of all caregivers, which is almost 48%, who provide help to older adults, do so for someone living with Alzheimer's and dementia. So we talked a little bit about that. But most of these adults are women. Two-thirds of caregivers are women. Mm-hmm. So this really impacts women at a great rate when it comes to the workforce, being able to um, contribute to the home financially, because a lot of the times the, the burden of care is um, placed on women within the family, whether it's spouse, daughters, aunts, grandparents sometimes, depending on the age of the person. So more specifically, though, over one third of dementia caregivers are daughters. Mm -hmm. So it's important to remember that caregivers aren't only 65 and over. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned your son. Your son is not. um, He's he's 27. He's 27. So Mm -hmm. having a younger caregiver, it's important to provide this relief as a family Mm -hmm. to each other. Well, you know, the other thing that you mentioned, you know, about being, you know, either a daughter or a spouse or, you know, someone who was under 65 is that, you know, a lot of times we're still working. And so these daughters are still working and being a caregiver, a spouse, and, you know, I'm still working. And I had shared something on Facebook recently that I've had several people say to me, what, how, why are you still working? Why am I still working? Um, I'm not Medicare age. <laughs> I'm not retirement age. It was kind of shocking to me that, you know, several people would, well, one, say it to me, but I mean, two, I mean, think it through before you say something like that to someone because, you know, I still have to pay for insurance. I still have a kid in college. And that's the way it is for a lot of caregivers, especially if they are, you know, in the sandwich generation where they're caring for a parent, they're caring for their young children, and they're still working because so many have all of that put on them. Yeah, I'm so happy that you shared that because it goes back to this kind of assumption that women in our community or our society are the burdens of care and do end up stepping away to be able to provide care. But that's a very you know, lucky place to be if you can be sure. able to do that. But not everyone can and mm-hmm. work still has to happen and finances and Alzheimer's and dementia or, or other chronic illnesses, they're very expensive to take care mm-hmm. of and manage. Um, and especially when you're not Medicare age, you have to be able to provide insurance for your family. Yeah. So it is a um, very complex issue. And unfortunately, a lot of women are impacted within their careers because mm-hmm. of an illness in their family. So it's an assumption. I'm sure it's a not ill-intentioned or anything yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. It is kind of surprising. It, it is. Back to assumption of care for women. Yeah. And you speak to the sandwich generation, which I'm so glad you bring this up because they're the hardest people mm-hmm. to find. I mean, I know how to find seniors to support education and provide care uh, support groups and outreach activities, but sandwich generation people live everywhere. They participate in everything. They go to games. They have children playing soccer. They have their dad living in their, you know, guest rooms. So sometimes, and they're very busy. Mm -hmm. So you try to schedule them care for their 
themselves or education or support for themselves and they just don't have time and it's such a need for um the sandwich generation concept which is you know the generation of people that are still raising children but now are also caring for aging loved ones so Mm -hmm. they're kind of sandwiched between these two generations but also providing care in both directions so it can be very complicated and really complex in the management of time and priorities so it's really important to expand your own network of support as a caregiver and please own that you are a caregiver because there are a lot of resources out there for you we mentioned age and i want to make sure people know um in this podcast that the area agencies on aging everywhere they cover the nation they they are little organizations throughout the nation they're specific to your county so you can look up what's local to you but they provide services for caregivers and you don't have to be 65 or older to receive them if you are caring for someone with alzheimer's disease and dementia and you're 30 years old you still qualify for those caregiving benefits if you're under 65 and you're caring for your loved one who has dementia and they're under 65 you still qualify for services so make sure you're understanding and reaching out um, in your own community to see what's available but for how you as does, a care. How does that work, Megan? I mean, do you because I looked into some things that people mentioned to me that like my son could be paid as a caregiver. Well, in the state of Texas, what I found was he couldn't because I make too much money. So they looked at like our finances for that. So how do these other programs work? Are they based on finances as well? Not always a respite or a getting paid as a caregiver. That's a state specific program that probably has its own guidelines for qualifications, which sounds like financial. But other every county and every state utilizes their budgets based on what's needed in their um, like community assessments and things like that. So whatever mm-hmm. those communities need or what the, those are the services that they're going to provide. But they do other things too, like benefits counseling, assisting with connecting you to legal planning and paperwork and that kind of stuff, understanding Mm -hmm. Medicare and Medicare benefits for your loved one, which is very complicated for people who have never done anything with Medicare. So you just have to connect with them directly. You would call their toll-free numbers and they would walk you through based on your individual circumstance, what would be available to you and your loved one. Okay. And I do know the respite stay, it's a skilled nursing for five days. Is that correct? So respite is a little bit different too. Again, you'll have to check with your local agency, but a lot Mm -hmm. of the agencies that we work with provide respite vouchers. So there's like a limited amount that you could use within a a year. Mm -hmm. It would basically have someone come into your home to provide respite care however many hours a week while the caregiver gets a break to do their own the doctors, grocery shopping, that kind of thing. Okay. So this is where you go onto your area agency on aging. Yes. It took me a very long time to get that, (laughs) to say that more quickly. Yeah. That's (laughs) a really hard one to say. (laughs) Yeah. There's a website, there's a, um, a like a national government website where we can send you, we can send that to you and the listeners and they just put in their zip code. Okay. And it'll it'll connect into their local uh, agency. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Okay, sandwich generation. I do always want to include the younger because there is this higher instances of folks dealing with this from younger ages. 
especially when it comes to caregiving, you know, you don't expect to become a caregiver when you're young and um, having tools to help support you through that can be very helpful. Okay, so this one, this is an American um, statistic nationally, but 41% of caregivers have a household income of $50,000 or less. Mm, Wow. So that's a family household income of $50,000 or less, and that's 41% of caregivers. So you can imagine if your household income is $50,000 or less. Everything's so expensive now, I can't even imagine. Yeah, the lack of resources and the, you know, there may not be the option to always be able to utilize long-term care at this point. Mm -hmm. So it can be a, a very big strain on the family, let alone financially. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some very staggering numbers there. Um, Alzheimer's disease takes a toll on caregivers. Chronic illness takes a devastating toll on caregivers. Compared with caregivers of people without dementia, though, twice as many caregivers of those with dementia indicate substantial emotional, financial, and physical difficulties. Mm-hmm. In fact, and I and I hate to, I don't want to be too gloom on this, but I've worked with a lot of families where the primary caregiver ends up passing away before the person with dementia Mm -hmm. because of their own chronic health issues or health issues not being addressed. And unfortunately, if the caregiver is gone, the primary, then who is left to help take care of that loved one? You know, there may be family, extended family members and things, but there's been a lot, there's always a lot of dedicated families that will spend so much time visiting and making their whole lives to support their loved one, which is so honorable and everything, but they've got to carve out time for themselves too, to make sure you're not pouring from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. Or you had a great analogy earlier, and I can't remember what it was, but I always like the pouring from an empty cup. You just can't, mm-hmm. there's nothing there. You know? Oh, I think you said you can't see the forest for the tree for the trees, however yeah. that goes. <laughs> yeah, when you're living in it and you don't uh-huh. recognize that you're suffering from the stress of being a caregiver, but that's the greatest analogy is you can't yes. see the the forest through the trees. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, there you go. I know I'm not good at remembering those little sayings, but I know kind of what they are. But you know that, and also you hit on the caregiver, the primary caregiver, not taking care of their own health. And I've always, until I became a caregiver. Always, you know, kind of thought, well, why, you know, make your appointment, take care of you and kind of preach that. But when you're in this and you're taking care of your husband or whoever you're taking care of, you're taking care of all their doctor's appointments. The last thing you feel like doing or finding the time to do is go follow through on your own things. And and I was guilty I when it had my physical, because when all this started, I'm like, okay, I'm going to stay on top of everything. Had my physical in April. I didn't get my blood work done until two weeks ago. I mean, that's ridiculous, you know, just because I just didn't want to take the time to go to the quest or whatever the place is and and do the blood work. And there's still, you know, a couple other things I have not done yet that I would normally be on top of, but I understand it now. And and I'm not saying, I mean, I'm saying don't be like me, but I understand <laughs> how it happens. Yeah, because you give yourself some grace too, because it is hard. It, it is. is. Hard when you're, you're prioritizing a lot in your mind, in your mm-hmm. world. And it's so easy to put us at the back burner. It really it is. is. And you do realize like, okay, like your health, my health should be a top priority. However, you know, there's there's bills and there's work and there's this and there's that, you know, there's all this other stuff. So I definitely understand it now from the caregiver perspective. And I understand why it happens, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to take care of and get all my appointments done. So I stay healthy. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think that just like recognizing things that have changed in yourself, maybe if you can dedicate time, if you're a caregiver to yourself, even if it's just as you close your eyes at night, thinking about what are some things that have changed for you over the past year or six months? Are you, is sleep getting worse? Are you getting enough rest? Are you getting enough sunshine, vitamin I heard not so long ago that uh, vitamin D is, it's pretty common for people to be low in vitamin mm-hmm. D. Yeah. So just making sure that you're getting out and getting sun and going for walks, especially in this nicer weather. Mm-hmm. I wish I could find it now, but this was like probably seven years ago or something. There used to be this, are you having enough fun in your life? Like survey. Mm-hmm. And it was just like circle one through, or, you know, circle the numbers and you count up your score. But some of the prompts were like, when's the last time you walked barefoot in the grass? When's the last time you had a popsicle? When's the last time you looked at the stars in the evening and just sat outside? When's the last time you read a really good book? When's the last time? Like, it was all these like different Mm -hmm. prompts like that that are just truly. When's the last time you've had coffee with a good friend? Mm -hmm. Just simple things that bring us joy that we may have found boring before in life when we're too mm-hmm. busy to look at those things, but taking a break yeah. to stop to think about those things reminds me of having that innocent, the simple joys of childhood and mm-hmm. just enjoying where you are and what you have around you and just taking time for you to reflect on that. So mm-hmm. I would encourage anyone who's listening in that is a family caregiver to try to create a routine for themselves, even if it's once a week to think about those things and think about making a plan to do some of those things or keeping a journal, something where you can have your own place to, to voice your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. This is something that I noticed was happening, you know, initially as a caregiver, I was just like, remember thinking, I am having to give up everything. And I, I really thought that in the beginning of all this with with Mark is that I have to give up everything basically because how am I going to find time to do all this stuff? And then as things kind of progressed and I'm like, no, that's that's not how it's going to be. You still can do your thing. So like my simple pleasures in life and they maybe because I'm a little bit high maintenance, but getting my nails done. <laughs> so I am finding the time to go get my nails done I get a massage once a month and go, I go every Wednesday evening with my friends and we have, we share a bottle of wine and we have appetizers and a good meal. So those are my like guilty pleasures. I mean, you know, those are the three things or four things that, I mean, I really have had to say, I can't feel guilty that I'm doing this or I'm spending money on this because these are the things that I did in my normal life before everything changed. And there's other things that I don't do anymore because I can't, but those are the things that I just, I have to do to maintain like sanity. <laughs> yeah. And it's important for you to recognize those things and implement them as a part of your routine. I heard someone say something recently that was like, putting stuff like that on your calendar is not selfish. It's not. Self-care is not selfish it's important for our well-being and our Mm -hmm. existence and if we can't advocate for ourselves who's going to do that for us you know exactly and i did and initially i thought you know there's so much going on i can't go get a massage every month or i can't get my nails done but then i'm like you know what i'm not going to be a very happy or pleasant person to be around and (laughs) i know this may sound kind of silly but those are the things that i've done for years and years for myself and 
you know, they are, they're on my calendar and getting my hair done, doing other things. I'm not going to just let myself go and, you know, not do the things that bring me joy yeah. just because I'm a caregiver. I can still be a caregiver and do things that bring me joy too. And I think that's it's a hard statement to make as a caregiver. And I really see it from the side now that it's not that we don't think we deserve to have joy, but it's just like our whole focus is on the person we're caring for. And it's hard to kind of take some of that focus off. You just, you have to really be intentional about taking that focus off and putting some focus on yourself. Yeah, I think that's a really great word is intentional. You have to have the intention to do that because it's not just going to come about itself. Mm -hmm. You know, you really have to be caught, create joy for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a really good point to bring up. And I also want to go back to something you said about overthinking about everything and what you can do and like being overwhelmed by the what ifs. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you have to really think about think about this one day at a time because the what ifs could be anything. Yeah. And like you said, you were thinking you'd have to give up everything, but you're seeing that your what life actually looks like is different. Mm-hmm. So taking things a day at a time and setting up familial support, I think is really important. I think working together as a family to um, kind of navigate a new new circumstance is important. Mm-hmm. See how you can manage what's required for care, but also what else can we introduce as a resource to our family to help carry the load? And I love that you guys um, were able to, you know, organize someone to come over and help you out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great. You're that's been a, a big help. doing a really good, you're setting up a really good example of how to um, take care of yourself. Um, but even, even if you do, it's still hard. I don't mean to make it seem like it's not hard. It, it is mm-hmm. a challenge. Well, and I really see how, like I said over and over, and I say this all the time, is like I work in senior living and I say all this stuff to people. I've said it for years and years. And but when you're in the moment, it's completely different. You know, you can't really yeah. see what's going on. And the other thing I mentioned when we were talking before we started the podcast was that there are times like, especially at night, where you're trying to go to sleep and your mind just starts taking you down the road to, you know, the next month and the next year. And, you know, you start going into, or I do, I start going into a panic and it's like, okay, I really need to keep it one day at a time. And I think that is really good advice for caregivers. Rein your mind back in. Don't go down the road into like, what is, is this what my life's going to look like forever? Is this, you know, are things going to progress to the point like I have to have a caregiver 24 seven or, you know, whatever it is, just don't, don't go there. Just live day by day. You'll freak yourself yeah. out and not sleep if you go down that road. <laughs> well, some people may have different triggers. So whatever's mm-hmm. triggering your mind to, to go there into an uncomfortable place of concern, worry, anxiety, or fear, kind of recognize that in yourself too, to, so you can redirect um, mm-hmm. your thoughts to something else, something more productive, something, a different bedtime routine maybe, or yeah. something to focus on at bedtime instead to help, you know, prevent yourself from really going there. Yeah. And I think that you've shared, you know, you kind of define that very well here. So I also recommend too that um, I have to plug caregiver support groups for folks listening because no one knows what it's like to be a caregiver except for caregivers, except mm-hmm. for people living this journey. And you would be so surprised what you could learn by having the support of a group of people behind you that have you your back. 
you know, I've heard concerns. There are there's stigma sometimes out there with joining what people perceive of support group and and especially in a group setting because you know what does that look like for people in their mind? What do they automatically assume? Plus, I've heard feedback before like. I already have a lot of issues going on. I don't want to hear about, you know, the issues of other people. Like that Mm -hmm. makes me feel anxious potentially, but something magical happens in these groups because the people that are involved, they connect at a level that is just a deeper understanding than a friend or a, you know, sometimes even a long distance family member. They don't know what the everyday life is, but the folks in this, in your group would, Mm -hmm. and they, not only have that emotional support that they provide, but they talk about challenges and frustrations mm-hmm. and the anger that comes about with how did we get into this circumstance? Yeah. And they um, talk about, so I mean, the things that no one else could really understand, like unless yeah. you're in a situation. So I'm on a couple of support groups on Facebook and they've been wonderful. I go, I don't go every day on them. Initially I did when, you know, my husband was coming home because I kind of wanted to prepare myself and see what they were saying. and. Um, you know, until we kind of got into a groove, things were a little upside down over here and a little crazy. And I remember one evening I realized I needed to go pick up a uh, prescription from Walgreens for Mark. And so I asked my son to, you know, stay with him and I would be right back. And the minute I backed out of the driveway, I just felt like such relief <laughs> that, and it sounds, it sounds terrible, but if you're the caregiver, like you understand this, I just felt such relief that I was just like getting out just be by myself, not have to take care of someone or, you know, do anything. And I got to Walgreens and there were five cars ahead of me in the line. And I was so excited that I was going to have a long wait. I mean, how often do you like get excited? You have a long wait. And so I was sitting there and I thought, I'm just going to put this on the Facebook group. And I put it to the the caregiver group and they were all like, oh my gosh, me too. And they were all telling their stories. My line was like 30 minutes at such and such place. I was so happy. And like, it sounds so crazy unless you're in this, but that is, I think I probably had like a hundred comments on that little, like, I'm like, I'm at Walgreens and I've never been so happy that there's five cars in front of me and all these people are just, you know, like that. I get it. I get it. You know, so it's just that validation that. Yeah, it's validation and yeah. it's uh, like it- everything you experience is completely valid. Mm-hmm. Getting excited to have alone time is completely yeah. valid. And relief from temporary responsibilities being lifted is a valid response. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what it is. It's the validation. It's that you're going into a room of people that are going to exactly understand what yeah, you're going. Yeah, they totally understand. Because if no I had just how, like, yeah, yeah, if I had said that to a friend that doesn't understand this, they probably would have been like, okay, you know, but these ladies all like, they're like, yes, sister, I get it. <laughs> yeah, There is a lot of value in that. So mm-hmm. I do encourage people, even like you're saying, you found some support on Facebook and mm-hmm. there are a lot of groups out there on yeah. Facebook. Um, and I think it's a really good way to prepare, like you said, for a transition because you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of when I brought my baby home. I didn't know that they didn't know that nighttime was sleep yeah. <laughs> and that they have to learn that. That mm-hmm. sounds so naive and silly, but it's like, oh yeah, she doesn't know what time of day it is. She's That's just right. like, I'm awake and it's time to be up. <laughs> Anyhow, I think the the more support you can create for yourself, I don't even want to say easier the journey will be, but it, but it is, it does make it a little easier and it makes it 
I don't just to know that there's other people out there experiencing what you're experiencing. And then, yeah. I mean, and honestly, I it it makes me sometimes I can't go on there for a little while because it makes me sad because some people. I mean, I feel like I have a lot of support, even though my only family here is my, you know, my kids. But I feel like, you know, with my son, he was able to rearrange his schedule and he can help out so much. And then with the caregiver, whereas there's some people, they have absolutely no one and they're much older and their loved one, you know, their stroke was much worse. Maybe they're bedridden or whatever. I'm just like, I don't know how they're doing it. So sometimes it makes me a little bit sad. It makes me thankful for what you know for our situation even though there's probably other people who are like oh my gosh her situation's really bad you know what i mean it's sort of like yeah and i get that every situation's yeah. different but that is mm-hmm. why it's so critical especially for families that don't have loved ones nearby or resources already connected to to get connected with resources even just calling the benefits counselor or caregiver specialist at the area agency on aging or connecting to your local Alzheimer's Association um, chapter, they can help you connect the resources. Part of what we do is information and referrals specific to your area. So if you're Mm -hmm. in, I'll just say Smith County, because Smith is a generic name, and I'm sure there's plenty of them in the US, (laughs) um, there's going to be resources available to you. They just may just look a little different. So um, there are homebound programs for like Meals on Wheels and home delivered things and the North Central Texas Area Agency on Aging is starting a program called REACH, R-E-A-C-H, and they're going to have care specialists be able to go into the home and work with the families directly mm, that great. need services in there, you know, because maybe they're more homebound and things like that. Mm. That's just one example of an additional item that they would offer. So definitely connecting to your local um, services and area resources. And then Church communities can actually be very helpful with um, senior ministry and providing support and companionship. Mm-hmm. And I think there are resources out there. It's just knowing where they are and finding them. And, and I think some people just feel very alone because it's hard. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast, because a lot of times you don't know where to start looking for help. And so hopefully this will help at least one person out there, you know, know where they can yeah. turn to and find some support. Yeah, and we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the stigma on wanting support in the first place. There is, for some reason, there's this cultural phenomenon of people not wanting to reach out for support. Mm-hmm. I don't need help. I can do it all on my own. Or I worked with a gentleman one time who said, this is my wife, and I'm the only one that knows how to help her. Mm. And that is the most precious yeah. You know that comes from a, such a good place, mm-hmm. but you also know that this disease is too big and chronic illness needs 24-hour support, and one person can't do that and take care mm-hmm. of themselves appropriately. So it is critical to get help and resources for yourself and for your loved one. There's no shame in it. I have also seen a lot of family dynamics of maybe perspectives of, oh, they're not that bad. What are you talking about? You don't need help. They're fine. But the only person that's going to know that is the person that's caring for them. Mm-hmm. So trust your gut instincts, trust your gut, get help, reach out to information services in your area, whatever they may be, and get connected to the right people because you not need help, but deserve help. Yeah. There we go. I couldn't think of the word. You deserve help. And and I don't know, is it something that people put on themselves 
mostly, I mean, I know, is it a cultural thing that we don't want to ask for help because we think people are going to judge us or is it we're putting it on ourselves that, you know, we're going to look weak if we, if we need to get help? What is, what is it exactly? Kind of both, I, I guess? Yeah, I think it's multiple things. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as care providers. And I can tell you that that exists because the amount of guilt that is associated with caring for someone and making the right choices is extremely high or even guilty for feeling like I'm so glad I get to wait longer in the line mm-hmm. at Walgreens. Exactly. There's always guilt that comes yeah. with these things because you feel like you shouldn't have these feelings, but they're very valid. And, but again, it goes back to, yeah, yeah we, you taking care of someone to the best of your capacity doesn't define how much you love them. Mm-hmm. You, you do what the best you can with the resources you have and there's no shame in getting help. It's not, it's really only going to benefit your loved one mm-hmm. to have more help ultimately. Yeah. Well, so, and like I, I was saying to you, we, my son and I, when my husband came home, we tried showering him first. I tried doing the showering. <clears throat> well, he's almost six feet tall. I'm five, two. <laughs> he's a big guy. He can't use one side. And he's arguing with me about how he wants to, you know, get in the shower. And it was so stressful for me. And I brought my son in. And so it was kind of the same thing. And I finally looked at him and I said to my son, Chris, is this causing you a lot of stress? And he said, yes. I'm like, it's causing me stress. We are getting someone to come shower dad. So, and that's in my friend had also pointed out, you need help. But that was the relief of just that someone coming in three days a week for an hour just to shower him. It was a hard conversation to have with him because, you know, he was upset. He didn't want someone to come do it. But after she came, there was a lot of like dread and I felt guilty and everything. But I knew that I was going to end up hurt, physically hurt, trying to help him or he was going to fall and be injured even worse. And we'd be back into the hospital rehab routine, you know. So we brought this woman in. And from the first day, it was just so much easier for everyone. And he now he looks forward to her coming. But uh, we had all those emotions too. that first, I can do this myself. And then I can't do this. I'm freaking out. And then guilt. So, I mean, you do, you go through all those emotions, but I don't feel like it, you know, is any reflection on me personally that I could not, you know, shower him and that I had to bring help in. I'm just, I'm glad that we recognized it and we were able to get someone to come and help. Yeah, I think that there'll, there'll be changes as far as the cultural differences. I think there's um, differences when it comes to different um, populations of people um, and like a duty that exists within the family to care for aging loved ones and keeping mm-hmm. them at home. And there's some cultural differences there with different communities. Um, but I think there's also some generational differences of kind of, and I, I don't see this as often, but just generational differences of what you think a nursing home is mm-hmm. or like a care home is in your with that pictures. It's like the old school mentality of like, what hospice is and when they come in and just not a true understanding of what care can look like for someone Mm -hmm. Um, even within a home setting or a group setting or a an assisted living setting you know there's there are all sorts of care options or even an adult retirement community with Mm -hmm. the spouse or something like that so it's very complicated and everybody has their own emotional response to providing care and just managing someone who's living with a challenging illness or what have you. And so it's just, it's a hard circumstance to be in. And 
we just work and try to raise awareness about services that are available and to, you know, hopefully let you know that we want you to access help. We want to be here for you. Um, and I think the more that we collaborate with people like you and other organizations that do the same thing and provide services, the less stigma there might become about it over time. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's gotten better in the last 10 years. But when I first started in this industry in my in my 20s, I've just seen family circumstances evolve a lot mm -hmm. more. Maybe people are more open to talk about things than they were. Yeah, and I think when kids are involved or the sandwich generation is involved, there's also more of a need for, for support because they're not retired. They've got kids, they're working, um, and you have to find a solution that works for everyone. But, you you know, that doesn't mean that, you know, the care is not as important to you, right? It's complicated. It is. But, you know, we've shared resources, so I think that's good that there's help out there for people. and. Hopefully this will shed the light on, you know, where to go to get that help. Yeah. So thank you for having me, Lori. I appreciate always talking to you and um, caregivers are amazing superheroes and you are one of them. And so make sure that you give yourself grace to, you know, stay in line a little extra or, you know, whatever you need to care for yourself. Thank you. Get my manicures. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you as always for being on. You always have such wonderful information and insight. And we will share the links on the website and on the podcast where you can find the information that Megan talked about. And of course, if you have any questions, please reach out. Our website is lauriwilliams-seniorservices.com. And please share this podcast. I say this after every one of them, but I really would love it if y'all shared this one with friends and family, especially if you know someone who's a caregiver, so that they'll know that there are some resources out there and people who are kind of walking the same path they are and understand what's what's going on. It helps so much to know you're not alone. So thank you. And we will talk to you next week. Bye-bye. <music>